May only your word be spoken, O Lord. May only your word be heard. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite sci-fi movies is called Serenity. And if you hear me preaching for over a year, you will probably hear me preaching about Serenity at least once, maybe twice. It's a futuristic sci-fi film with... Uh, a rather sinister galactic government over all of the planets, and then you've got the good guys, this crew of eight people in a space freighter, think kind of like Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon, only, you know, not that, and they're doing various legal and illegal jobs, and on the ship you've got the captain and his crew members, including the ship's mechanic, Kaylee, and the ship's doctor, Simon. And Kaylee has had a long-suffering, unrequited crush on Simon. So at one point in the movie, the whole crew is about to be attacked by a horde of vicious creatures, and things are not looking particularly good for our plucky band of heroes. The captain and one other guy, they're going to be fine. They know how to fight. There's no problem. Everyone else... Things aren't looking very good for them. They don't really know at all what they're doing. And assuming that they're all about to die, Simon finally professes his love for Kaylee. At which point, she goes from terrified and fumbling with her weapon to cocking the gun and saying, to hell with this, I'm going to live. <laughs> In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote, assuming that they weren't all about to die, but the world was about to be drastically changed by the second coming of Jesus. Like many in the early church, Paul seems to have believed that Jesus would be coming again in their lifetimes. So he was telling the church to act accordingly, as though the present form of the world was passing away. Paul was obviously not entirely accurate with his timeline of things, as we see the world still turning, much as it did in the first century, but his advice to the church was still sound. Far from giving up on everything, throwing their hands in the air and saying, well, I guess nothing much matters anymore, Paul's message was a bit more like Cayley's, to hell with this, I'm going to live. Whether Jesus' return and the fullness of God's kingdom comes today or in another couple thousand years or even further off than that, the kingdom of God has still come near. And so we get to live. The kingdom of God is all around us, alive and well, in thousands and millions of ways each day, all the time. God's kingdom is alive and well even now in things as simple as marriage and relationships, in joy and sorrow. God's kingdom is even around alive and well in buying stuff and in the regular old interactions we have with the world. Paul was writing about those four things 
as though the world were about to end. And so he said, for those who have wives to live as though they had none. I can think that might mean don't have kids because if the world's about to end, why bother? There are all kinds of ways that if you were married, you could act as though you weren't, some of them probably more helpful than others. But if we think of marriage as it has been in some times and places, we can think of ancient times where wives weren't exactly owned by their husbands, but there was a possessive aspect to that relationship. In that sense, it seems that Paul was saying, husbands, you can let go of your wives a little bit, rather than holding on to them as possessions. You get to be equals in God's kingdom. Equals without being given in marriage, even as it is in the resurrection. So hold on lightly. The same seems true for the rest of Paul's advice on how to live. Hold on lightly to possessions. They won't go with you when this life is over, and we have to spend time in our lives in order to get the money to buy possessions. So we're literally spending our lives to get stuff. Paul raises a good question, then. How much of your life do you really want to give up in acquiring stuff. For those who are mourning and rejoicing, Paul said, be as though you were not. Okay, we can't just choose not to be sad or not to be happy. And it would be particularly unhealthy if we did. But we can, again, hold on lightly to those times of mourning and rejoicing. Times of rejoicing will come to an end, and that's okay when they do. We continue on, and there is still much beauty in this life, even in times when we are not particularly joyful. Times of mourning also don't have to last forever. We can, after a time of sorrow, give the person or dream that we've lost to God. We can let the person go, we can let the dream go, we can let the life that we had go. There is still plenty of life after mourning and sorrow when we are open to receiving it. Hold on lightly. Even though the end may not come right away, it could come at any moment. And an end can also come at any moment. So hold on to life lovingly, but lightly. Holding on with a tight grip is living in fear, fear of losing, anger at having lost, attacking any who seem like a threat. To that tight-gripped, fearful life, Paul is teaching us to say, to hell with this, I'm going to live. The end or an end may come at any time, so hold on lightly. By, by holding on lightly, we get to love people without possessing them. By holding on lightly, we get to possess our things, but with an open hand. 
By holding on lightly, we get to open our hands to receive the beauty of the world and people around us. Receiving the beauty of the world and people around us and holding on lightly, we get to receive both joy and sorrow and not hold on to them forever because there's far too much living to do to be stuck fearfully clinging to people and stuff and even life itself. There's far too much living to do to waste time clinging to things in fear. Now, Sophia is getting baptized today. We had a baptism. Uh, James was baptized at our service at Lord of the Streets this morning. Well, our Lord of the Streets service here this morning. And in baptism, to hell with this I'm going to live isn't actually written into the baptismal covenant. <laughs> but I think it should be. <clears throat> because what do we say at the beginning? I renounce Satan and all spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. I renounce all evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. I renounce all sinful desires which draw me from the love of God. Then I turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as my Savior. I put my whole trust in his grace and love, and I promise to follow and obey him as my Lord. And if that's not saying to hell with this, I'm going to live, I don't know what is. We're declaring in our baptism that we are going to live. We're declaring that we are going to hold on lightly to the world around us and to seek to love rather than to possess. We're declaring that we're going to mess up. We actually promise that in the baptismal covenant. I promise, Lord, that we are going to fall into sin. And when we do... Repent and return to the Lord. We're declaring that we will mess up and that even when we do, we are going to hold on lightly to those screw-ups. Then we're declaring that we're going to ask God's help. We're going to turn around again to open our hands to let go of what we're possessing, let go of those mistakes, and to receive from God again the beauty of this life. That's the life of baptism, the way of Jesus, the life of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is all around us, all the time. It may be tomorrow or centuries or longer before Jesus comes and fully brings about God's kingdom. But however long or short it is, in the meantime, we get to live. However imperfectly God's kingdom may be, we get to live God's kingdom in our lives right now. So rather than waste time clinging to fear, we get to open our hands to God's kingdom all around us. We get to open our hands and receive from God life.